Running a business isn't all glamour and success stories. You're about to hear from a real founder in the trenches. I'm here to help them find clarity, have a space to get their ideas out in the open, and figure out how they're going to move forward. Welcome to the Talk to Stefan podcast. Today I'm joined by Carl Hughes, who is the founder and CEO of Draft.dev. Welcome to the Founder Hot Seat. Hey, it's great to be here, Stefan. Excellent. And can you give me a quick sort of overview of what it is that Draft.dev does? Yeah, so what we do is we create technical content, mostly blog posts and ebooks for companies that want to reach software developers through content marketing. Just a real tangible real life example that a lot of people would be familiar with is say you're a web hosting company and you want to reach developers who are going to host their web applications on your services. We might write content around how to set up different application frameworks with your web hosting uh, provider or maybe content about what different tools might might be used along with your web host. It's it's pretty technical stuff. And so it it ends up being it's it's funny, like most content companies out there sort of specialize or don't specialize quite as much as us. And so they provide just general content marketing or writing services. We do it just for a very, very specific narrow niche that has a really hard time working with non-technical writers or people who are kind of just more general SEO copywriters. Excellent. I'm following. And it seems like the company has grown really quite quickly. Yeah. So I started last year. I, my background is in software engineering and then uh, engineering management. And I, I was a CTO at a small startup last. And I started last year, basically kind of just like a, a way for me to start doing freelance writing, to be honest. I, I was just interested in making kind of a career shift from software engineering to something a little different. And I decided I would start freelance writing. Uh, you know, because I already had these technical skills, I figured I'd write for technical audiences. That made sense. And so some companies started paying me to do that. And that was it, it, within probably four or five months, I had grown from just me writing a few articles on the side to hiring on my first couple writers. And then now I think we're 10 or 11 months in and we've got 50 freelance writers and a t- core team of five people um, for draft operating draft.dev. So it's gone from me writing everything myself, essentially, and doing everything to me basically sitting back and I'm now mostly in charge of sales and hiring and big picture sort of direction of the company and that kind of thing. It's quite a shift for you then. And I guess that feeds really nicely into the challenge that you wanted to discuss today, which you said that you're really looking at how do you figure out when to hire and hiring at the right moment so that you've got enough work for the people that you've hired and that you can pay for them, but yet at the same time, balance up and make sure that you can fulfill all that need that's coming in. Is that an accurate summary of it? Yeah, that, absolutely. I, and, you know, we have some positive things working for us. One, we, we, we set it up, the business up in, or I set, I set it up, I say we, you know, this is just like the entrepreneurs have it, right? Uh, it's been mostly me, but we, I've set it up in a, like a positive cash flow cycle where clients pay us ahead of time for work that we execute throughout the quarter. So the good news is we usually get a good you know, chunk of cash up front, and then we sort of hire to fill uh, the operational fulfillment of those, that, you know, those contracts. And that helps a lot, but there's certain roles where we may not have like a full-time need quite yet, but I know we will if we keep growing at the rate we, we're at. And because of knowing that it takes a month or two to really onboard somebody, especially in a field so specialized and technical as this, I've tended to try to hire like ahead of where I'm really 
at, you know, and I, I think it's been fine so far, but it also feels really hard to know whether I'm going too far <laughs> too early or, uh, you know, when to back off. Anyway, so th- that kind of adds a little more to it, but, but what you said is exactly right. Excellent. So with that point there about wondering if you're going too far ahead, has anything occurred that's made you think that that's the case? No, <laughs> yeah, you know, but this is also, so not at this role, I'll, I guess like maybe my fear comes from, I've worked with startups before that, you know, have raised traditional funding rounds. And a lot of times what happens when you raise money is you are sort of tasked to go hire a team like you're going to be 10 times bigger in a year. And then you have to try to make the sales to get there compared to the, what I'm doing now where I bootstrapped the company and have basically just funded off of customers. It's totally different in that they're just hoping they're going to get there. We're, we're kind of, we know we're already partway there, but I think I'm just nervous about the same thing happening where I saw with startups I've worked for uh, where, you know, we basically hire two or three people and then realize a year in, oh, we're not going to hit the numbers we thought we were. And we have to let these people go, or we have to sort of like keep raising money. It kind of gets us locked into the cycle. So maybe it's a bit of fear just based on that experience in the past. That's understandable. And I just wondered, it was just differentiating between that it's something that could happen versus something that's actually happened, in which case there may be certain learnings from that. So if we were to look at what's happened in the past, you've grown the team quite significantly. And when you're talking about hiring, just to differentiate, are we talking about the contractor side or are we talking about the permanent team or both? So mostly the permanent team. Like The nice thing about working with a large contractor force uh, you know, we can offer consistent, steady work to our contractors, which is great for them. But at the same time, like if things hit the fan and we had to sort of wind them down, we'd be able to do it because they're, they're freelancers. They've got other clients they could kind of lean on. So it, it's a nice middle ground for companies like ours that are, are still small. But I am trying to bring on kind of a more core team as well. So some core functions that are really hard to just give off to a freelancer part time are things like account management because they have to build a relationship with our clients i really want the person to be around for a long time technical uh, reviews are kind of tricky because we want we need them turned around pretty quickly and so we kind of need somebody full-time and that's been one of my last operational roles that i've just hired someone for sales is the other big one that i've got to tackle this year at some point so right now i'm the, the sort of only sales person and you know our sales are such a they're very relationship based uh, you know we don't because it's a, a a high tick, relatively high ticket service. We don't have. We we're not going to go out there and just try to do volume. It's going to be like you know we just need to bring in two, three, four sales a month. It's not a you know hundreds and hundreds of sales thing. So for that kind of hire, like it makes sense to have somebody who's dedicated, knows our our service offering very well, knows our clients one to one. But yeah, I've never hired a salesperson before. I've never I've never even been a salesperson before. You know, so there's a lot of I have a lot of like uh, reservations or, or I'm nervous about that hire. I think. And looking at the team that you've got already then, those roles that are there at the moment, you mentioned about the tech review person that you've just hired. What's the makeup of the team currently then in terms of role type? We've got like a, a marketing person who does social media and various outreach, manages our blog. Uh, I've got uh, a managing editor who she works with a couple freelance editors to and all our writers to make sure that content gets done on time and moves through the, the pipeline. I've got an account manager who sort of handles after I do the sales on a client, I pass them off to her for the day to, or week to week kind of touch base. And here's the latest con- piece of content we finished. She'll eventually take over things like renewals and 
probably onboarding with clients, but you know, as she's still new, she's within her first month, she's not quite fully up to speed yet, obviously, because there's a lot to learn there. And then the, the, the most recent one that I just mentioned is the, uh, the sort of technical, I talk, call him a technical content specialist. He's kind of doing a, a mix of several things that um, like reviewing technical content, reviewing our, our, and creating our content plans for clients, which is basically the outlines and briefs that we use to pass to writers. And probably he'll be doing some th- work with recruiting writers as well. Okay. And how have you decided to hire these people as you've gone through? Has it always been based on need? How have you gone about that? So what I try to do is track my time. And when I sort of hit a threshold, I basically split my time up into different job functions. So I have like, you know, if I'm working 30, 40 hours most weeks and I'm spending 10 hours a week editing, I know it's time to hire an editor because that, you know, that's a fair bit of time for somebody who's trying to run the company, do sales and everything else. And so I kind of look for a threshold of maybe 10 to 20 hours a week. And then I'm like, okay, if I'm working that much on this function, it means hiring a, like, Hiring somebody half to full time is probably necessary to fill that same gap. You know, one of the things I've realized with hiring is that just because I can do something in 10 hours a week does not mean that a brand new hire will do that same function at the same level in 10 hours a week, right? It's, it's almost impossible for that to happen. Even if they're super experienced, there's just so much context that lives in my head that I'm still figuring out how to get out into the world. Anyway, like when I bring somebody on, I don't expect them to meet my productivity levels immediately. I hope they eventually get there and, you know, surpass it once they've really focused in and figured out the role. But you got to give them a couple months to get up to speed or else, you know, that, that's just unrealistic. So that's one of the challenging things, too. It's like you kind of like, OK, I've got 10 hours a week that I'm spending on a function. I hire somebody for it. And now I have to spend five hours a week helping get them up to speed and they're spending 30, 40 hours a week. It's so like, I didn't get 10 hours back. I only got like half of that time back. Right. And I'm now spending all this money I didn't, you know, used to spend. So it's like it, kind of both those things. I think they, they, they compound into this like fear of hiring too fast and bringing somebody on. I don't know, like I'm going to pay a bunch of money and then, and not get time back. Like I hoped. Okay. So it's time back. Is that your real goal from this to get the time back? Yeah. So the way I look at time is I, as a, the founder, I need to be doing the highest leverage tasks, the things that are hardest for me to pass to somebody else. I, I've always felt that way when I was like managing teams too. Like as a manager, my job is not to go in there and write code necessarily. Now, sometimes that's like what's required, but if my job becomes 20 hours a week of writing code, then something is wrong with my management structure or team structure or something, because that's not really what a manager should be doing. I should be like, helping all the rest of the team be more productive. And that's what I looked at uh, as my, my role with Draft.dev as well is as the founder CEO, like my job is to keep the, the rest of the team productive and get them more productive and get them everything they need, right? Get them resources. And so it also includes getting new clients right now, but, but ultimately like I want to be in a spot where I'm just helping everyone else do their jobs the best that I can rather than trying to do all those functions myself. Okay. So you've got more of a sort of facilitatory type role where you're supporting them. Yeah, I kind of think, so just like think about the best founders I've worked with and known. The ones who are the most successful in group businesses that like worked the best were the ones who didn't get lost in the job functions that they they started off in. So there's this book uh, I read a few years ago called The E-Myth Revisited. I don't know if you've read that, Michael Gerber. And 
he kind of talks about it from the standpoint of like traditional small businesses, like a bakery or something. But I think the same thing is true in a lot of tech businesses and consulting businesses too. Like the founder often comes in as the craftsman who like knows how to do this thing the best. And then they just want to do that thing more. And so they try to start a business doing that thing. So for me, it could have been technical writing. I could be in here writing every one of these articles. But if I did that, I wouldn't have a business. It would just be me freelancing. You know, and that's a very different thing for a lot of reasons. Um, so I think I've always looked at the best founders as the people who can step out of the day-to-day -day as they grow. And they know how to pass things off to other people. So even though I struggle with it and I'm like, am I doing it too early? Is this like the right move? We're going to run out of money because I hired these people and then we don't grow as fast, I think. Like ultimately every time I, I mean, it is the right thing to do. It's the only way to get the business to keep growing. I guess it's just overcoming my, my own fear of it is the problem. <laughs> so you know that as a process and as a task, it's the right thing to do. And it's part of the model of how you grow the business. But it's just that fear of making an error with it. Or, call, or could it cause things to head in the wrong direction if you do it too soon or too late even? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or maybe I, I, I rush it and I hire the wrong person, right? And then, you know, there's another, maybe another fear there is like I, I've made a bad hire and then had to let that person go. And when you have a team of under 10, you know, core team members and you're letting a person go, it's a, it's a pretty big blow to morale, right? I mean, it's a, yeah, everybody is very visible and it just kind of, I probably have a fear of being seen as a poor leader or something because I picked the wrong person or I couldn't manage them. So that's probably some of it too. It's like, I, I want to hire, but then I'm like, eh, yeah, but what if I hire the wrong person? And then like, what if I hire too late or too early? Like, you know, th this whole, uh, like, there's no formula for this. <laughs> and so it's really hard to, to like, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm, this made my engineering brain wanting to like have a, a, a mathematical proof for uh, the way this should work, but it just doesn't exist, right? <laughs> and I wonder, that's a really interesting point. I wonder, is this because of the, like you say, the engineering sort of mindset of things being so specific normally and formulaic almost, but this isn't a sort of formulaic activity. It's so much more complex than that. Right. I, I, think, I think that's something I struggle with generally, like, even when I think back when I first started the company, my biggest challenge psychologically was getting used to not having a boss to ask questions to. Like this is, it's funny because like I like freedom and I've always been a very like self-directed person, but just not having a, a CEO above me who I can say, hey, just want to check this against your, you know, feelings here is like, that was a huge switch mentally that I think I was like, I did not expect to be as big a switch as it is. I, that's probably a similar kind of thing here with hiring where it's like, I want there to be a formula or somebody I can just go say like, hey, should I do this or not? You know, it, it doesn't really exist. And I'm just coming to terms with the fact that that doesn't exist. How do you deal with that then at the moment? Say you're thinking about hiring somebody. Do you go and sound it off somebody? Is it a decision you make yourself? Is it a sort of long process? Is it a short process? Talk me through how it all works. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't been the same every time. Honestly, this is, this is kind of why I, I wanted to, to chat with you here on this podcast is that like, I feel like it is something I'm still struggling with what the right way to do it is. Uh, maybe just but to answer your question, like how have I done in the past? A lot of these questions I do talk over with my wife. I think she's, a, she's been a great partner in, uh, in a lot of life decisions we do for each other. We sort of you know, run ideas by each other and 
things we're thinking about. So that's helpful. You know, she's not necessarily in the business day to day, but she knows a lot of context being living with me. Uh, and then I'm in a mastermind group as well, which has been really great. We meet every couple of weeks and we are all, ha- we all have similar sized and kind of like stages businesses. So we're, we're all kind of in this early, early ish time period, you know, um, that's been really helpful for just like bouncing things off people. I, it's funny. I don't always agree with them on everything, which is, you know, I'm sure they don't agree with me either, but, uh, I do think it's sometimes nice to get another perspective, even if it's different from uh what i would you know lean towards so to challenge your own perspective almost even if it's not something you agree with but just to hear the other side yeah yeah and you know i've realized too that entrepreneurs make their decisions based on a mix i mean it's like their personal experience and background and how they've made decisions in the past that have gone good you know well and bad and and maybe for these guys other things have shaped the way they've gotten to their paths than me and Again, this kind of goes back to the whole, like, there's no right or wrong answer for this. And that's what's hard <laughs> that, that I find really hard about, about entrepreneurship generally. And I wonder, as a sort of challenge to that, what would have to happen for you to make you say that hiring has gone really well and you're really happy with it? I mean, I, I think it has gone really well, but I, in a way, I feel like I've been lucky more than anything, which maybe, maybe that I'm not giving myself the credit I deserve. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, I go into it every time and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to do something, you know, and just try to figure this, like figure out, make a guess and see what happens. And so far those, those have felt like they've gone okay, but it's kind of the fear of like, oh, is the next one going to work out quite as well? Or am I making a, a, a mistake here? It's going to be really, really tough to pull back from, or, or maybe it's going to go wrong in three months. And it's like, then it's, you know, it's, Maybe some of these hires that I've made, maybe maybe things will not pan out in three or four months. I don't know. That's hard to so hard to to know. But yeah, I've always I've always had that in the back of my mind. And let's dig a little deeper there. So say you do make a hire that doesn't work out, it doesn't go right for whatever reason that is, whether it's the candidate themselves, whether it's a decision you've made. Talk me through what what would happen there. How would you go about dealing with that? So in the past, when I've managed people, like I've kind of, I've always had kind of a process for trying to, to get people back into, uh, or, or like, I don't know, like back on track, whatever you want to call that. So getting more explicit with expectations on a very regular basis is kind of one thing that I'll, I'll tend to do if an employee is struggling. I mean, I try to give pretty pretty good explicit expectations regardless but some people need a lot less i found like some people really thrive when they're just given more of an open book and just said like you know here's roughly what your job is go go do it go carve the path and then other people if you give them that they get overwhelmed and they kind of just tread water and so a lot of times when somebody's treading water my first instinct is how can i give them more direction and you know break a task up into smaller and smaller bits so that they get really easy step-by-steps to get there and then see if they start to make some progress and maybe build some confidence and then maybe they can get back to where they're, you know, they are performing at expectation. And then, you know, if that doesn't work, if it's not getting them back on track, the thing I would do next is start to like, I probably would have like a conversation or two over the course of a couple of weeks and, you know, let them know expectations aren't being met and here's how that needs to change. And then if it doesn't, you know, got to let them go. The time in a small company like this, it's, you don't have the luxury of a lot of time to, 
to sit there and, and kind of like let somebody improve. And so there's probably like two to six weeks that you can realistically give somebody who's just not meeting expectations before you gotta like move on and, and try again. Okay. So it sounds like you've got a relatively clear process all the way through from when you set expectations originally and whether those expectations are very defined or if they're a little bit more open all the way through to then escalating a little bit more and giving people more direction if they're not performing to then having that final sort of conversation where you acknowledge that there's a difficulty here, things aren't working. So it sounds like you, you know the escalation if you needed to. Yeah, I mean... I think I've, I've done this in the past with, again, like being in a manager role where I had to do this sort of thing. But maybe I, the difference here is I've never had it where I was the final call. Like a lot of times it's like a, this kind of letting people go is like ends up being kind of a group decision because there's other managers or founder or somebody else who's involved. And now I'm kind of like the everything on that decision. And that's like, it's a little like scary, overwhelming and just like, uh, yeah, like, Feels feels harder mentally. So it's those feelings of sort of overwhelm and feeling a little bit scared with that. That yeah, yeah, and just like um, yeah, I mean, yeah, not knowing if it's the right decision. There is no way to know if it's the right decision. There is no right and wrong necessarily. It's just like accepting that and you know being like okay with the uncertainty around it is is really tough. And not having like uh, you know times like these, like these kinds of decisions, where I'm like, wish I had. Uh, a co-founder or somebody like that in a way who had an equal stake in the whole thing but you know and was involved and i could bounce these things off of and maybe come to consensus on but it's like you know you, you play with the hand you're dealt i don't have that and i'm not gonna like add somebody just for the sake of me feeling better so there's uh there's kind of a, like get over it and just start to like fight through it get used to it yeah this is another thing i've noticed Stefan, is like a lot of the re- thing that draws me to entrepreneurship and drew me to this career shift was that it was uncomfortable. And I like being in a space where I'm a little bit uncomfortable because it means that I'm like getting better at something and growing. So even though I'm having these like doubts and talking on this podcast about how like uncomfortable these decisions make, I think it's good overall. Like I'm glad that I'm going through this because I know in a year or two when I look back on this, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, I can't believe it felt like that. You know, like that was, now this looks like easy, right? Because that, that just shows you like what the growth, to me, it shows me my, my growth trajectory. And that's always kind of a fun thing to look back on. That's interesting because I think it is such a wider topic of this feeling of being uncomfortable and finding, I call it comfort in the discomfort almost, and finding that place where you can operate. And there's almost a zone, that sort of sweet spot between being uncomfortable enough, but not too uncomfortable. And I'm just wondering, how do you manage that sort of discomfort as you go along? So, yeah, there is a there's a fine line or a zone there where things are uncomfortable, but not overwhelming. There's this concept in education called the zone of proximal development, which sounds really fancy, but it's basically describing exactly what you're saying. And I used to work in education technology companies. We talked about this kind of thing fairly regularly. And the idea is like if you're training a student. You, would, you want to give them a task that is slightly difficult for them. So it's something they might have to ask questions and for slight amounts of help on, but not so difficult that they can't possibly do it, you know, without you being very actively involved as a teacher. So like as an entrepreneur, I kind of look at like, I want to run a company that is always keeping me in that zone of proximal development, which is, it's like really tricky because sometimes you, you get 
outside of it and you're like, whoa, this is overwhelming. This is too much. I need to back off. And sometimes you're like, you have to grind through periods where you don't have growth and new challenges and you're just kind of like chugging along. Like I, a lot of people get in that space for a while. So anyway, the like whole, how do, how do I get used to being uncomfortable? I feel like I just know it's a part of the learning process. And I know it's like, again, like when I look back on artifacts like this podcast, I always like writing. So when I look back on things I wrote two years ago and I'm like, oh, that was difficult at the time. So I wrote about it. It's really encouraging because I'm like, okay, now I don't find that difficult or I don't think that's as scary as I did then. And so that makes me feel like there, you get to see these, these, this growth in these milestones because you're keeping some kind of record. So maybe that's something that helps too. And so maybe just being here is, is going to help it feel better in a year or two. <laughs> so almost documenting that progress and looking back on it. Yeah, like everybody forgets how, like your brain is wired to forget how hard things were at the time so that you'll, you, you don't abandon things too quickly. So like the, there's kind of, a, I, don't, I don't know how much this is true or just like anecdotal, but people I say this like, as hunter gatherers, we're, you know, we're supposed to like forget the pain that we felt when we were like hunting that animal and we got, you know, uh, attacked or whatever, because you've got to go back and hunt that animal again. And so there's something to that with like entrepreneurship, like you got to forget the pain and the challenges because you're going to have to go face them again. <laughs> and like, you can't have this long memory where they feel like they were terrible and so painful. And so anyway, like having, having artifacts where I talk about how painful they were, and then I look back in a year and I'm like, oh man, that was, you know, that was what was hard. Now it's like not even, a, I don't even worry about it. And I'm going to have some new thing I'm worrying about, but it kind of gives me some perspective to be able to pull back and look at history and um, you know, think about those feelings again. Interesting. And I'm just wondering that we talked about that sort of zone that you sit in, in terms of hiring specifically, what would push you into the feeling of overwhelm? Yeah. I mean. I, I felt like for the last month or two, for like for the last month or two, we've been, I've been like intentionally pushing new clients off a bit just to keep myself from getting too like too much that I like too, too growing too fast in a way. Again, maybe this like a more experienced me in a year will look back and be like, that was stupid. I should have just you know done as much as I could, grown as fast as possible. I would have figured it out, and like that's fine. But right now, I feel like this pressure that makes me feel like if I had to hire two extra people in a month, you know, I'm already hiring one or two people a month. If I'm hiring four people a month, five people a month at the set, like size we are, I just don't even feel like that would be, I don't want to do that. You know, like that, that just feels like really overwhelming and scary to think about. So in a way that's what's forced me to like, so what I've done to, to sort of push that off is to like kind of basically push clients off and be like, Hey, look, we, you know, would love to work with you, but we got to wait a couple months because we're catching up on things and we're hiring people already. Like, got to be able to service at the same quality level and that works fine you know it's like intentionally metering your growth just to keep up with your own my own ability to hire like try not to overwhelm myself and the rest of my team too because you know this is the other thing that happens like when i if i hire that many people at once and i'm the training person who does all the training and the management and the onboarding and keeping them like it's like i'm not going to give as much uh attention to each of those hires and so it's really hard for me to get them up to speed you know once more of my core staff can then hire their own teammates to work with them or like onboard them, then like then it's a lot easier to scale up hiring. So if I had 10 people who were all capable of onboarding another person, this wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't worry about hiring 10 people. Like that would be fine. But when you're 
like basically one, you know, just four, four full-time people and a couple of those are just brand new. Like, I don't want to make them try to train somebody. They don't even know what their job is yet. So I think there's a, yeah, there's like this, I almost just have had to push back on growth a bit to keep from getting overwhelmed. But I do feel like if I, if I just said yes to every sale, I probably would be in this spot where I was like, oh boy, this isn't, you know, not manageable. So it sounds very much like it's a case of form that core team, get those people around you, then get the infrastructure in place. And then once you've got all of that in place, you know that you can then, your hiring efforts can almost be exponential as opposed to linear like they are at the moment. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, in a service business like this, I, what I found to be like from talking to other people, the, the like sort of quote unquote formula for a service business is you try to hire somebody in each of the core functions. And then you try to like double that in the next year or two, you know, so you now have two people in each of the core functions and then you start to build little teams in each of the core functions. You've got a leader and a couple, you know, uh, team members. And so that's how you slowly build up um, a hierarchy. That's, that's like the formula or path I'm trying to follow at this point. So hiring all these first, like the people who are the first hires in those roles are kind of, it's the hard, that's the hard one because that's taking stuff from my head to their head. And now once it's in their head and they're owning that process, it's a lot easier for me to say, okay, now I need you to hire a person to work with you. And, or like maybe I, I do the, I, I help them like get the job listing together and put it out there, but then they're in charge of making sure that person gets trained and onboarded once we've picked somebody. So it's a lot easier to dole up the work once you've got like a basic, all the basic functions defined and the, where the handoffs happen, right? And things like that. Again, being a service business, there's like, each piece of work goes through five or six people's hands before it gets back to the client. And so knowing where all those handoffs happen and how the, who, what, who does what and you know, all that, like we're still kind of shaping and defining that as we get all the core functions filled. Excellent. Well, I think that brings us to a really good point to sort of just summarize in terms of what we've discussed today. So it seems like things are going really fast and you've got your sort of larger contract team but you're building now your base of core employees who are building up uh, sort of gradually. And with that, originally you were saying that there's a sort of lag with getting these people on board, getting them trained up and onboarded fully so that they understand how the company works. And, you know, you've made these hires already. You started to build out. You've got a marketing person, managing editor, your account manager, your tech content specialist. And it's been a case of taking them on one by one and understanding as well that, these people are not necessarily going to do the work at the speed that you do. And therefore, actually, even if the work that you do takes 10 hours, for instance, it might take that new hire a full week to do that work to start with. And you're gradually building up and it's a slight worry that you might rush or get the wrong person, but you've got that process in place where you set expectations initially, you then follow up with them and give them more direction if you need to. And then if you get to a point where they're not performing, you can then consider, do they need to leave the company? And that this journey is really one of being uncomfortable, as is creating the business. And it's not just hiring that's like this, it's just part of that process. And your way of dealing with that, you say, is sort of documenting it and looking back on it and figuring out actually a year or two ago, that's where I was, but here I am now. It's kind of your mechanism for coping with it. Do you think that that's a sort of accurate summary? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a fair summary of the, the situation in a nutshell. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it was um, really good having you on. Where can people find out either more about you or draft.dev if they want to? 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm pretty active on Twitter uh, at Carl L Hughes. Uh, it's Carl with a K. So uh, that's one place you can reach out if you want to talk more about this kind of stuff, or you just whatever want to follow along. And then the company is Draft.Dev. We're I mean we're we're always looking for writers, basically software engineers that want to write on the side, or um, you know companies that want technical writing. We do have a wait list because I'm only growing so fast, but at the same time, I'm always happy to at least chat and see if uh, you know we can help you out, whether it's us or, or refer you off to somebody who's ready right away. But yeah, so uh, thanks a lot for the time, Stefan. This was fun. Brilliant. Thanks for joining me on the show. Goodbye. There you have it. Thanks for listening. You'll find me at talkstefan.com or at talkstefan on Twitter. Drop me a message if you're interested in either being a guest on the podcast or working together. Take care for now.